Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 116. Today, we're talking with a creator who's had more YouTube experience than anyone else that we've had on this show. Aaron Massey has been running his own Mr. Fix-It DIY channel for over six years, but he's also been a producer for an almost 9 million subscriber channel for over 10 years as well. They've done 1,300 videos and 6 billion views. Is that a B? So Aaron, that is a B. That's a billion. B. It's like, yeah, we're, we're going full on Dr. Evil here. And Aaron has clearly seen a thing or two about YouTube in his day. So we talk with him about the ups and downs of his own channel and how that relates to thinking about a larger channel like the one that he's running as well. But one of the main things that Aaron wants to talk to us today is about diversifying because during his time on YouTube, he has definitely learned you cannot rely only on YouTube and he has branched out into a lot of other areas. He'll talk to us about how you can think about that for your own business. Yeah, and Aaron's been one of my longest friends in the maker community. We were vibing years ago before I even jumped on YouTube, and he was one of the individuals who convinced me to do so. And um, his attention to detail has just been ridiculous for years. His production level is on another planet, and he's been doing this, like Brad said, for a long, long time. He recently amassed 116,000 subscribers, and being in the game for as long as he has, we definitely know he's been slugging it out for a long, long time. YouTube is his side hustle for Mr. Fix-It DIY, but he's definitely got some killer insights and pointers, not only as a businessman on the internet, but in all of that experience Brad was just touching on earlier. Absolutely. It's a great conversation with Aaron. And before we get into it, we want to thank some new members that joined the MFP patron tribe this week. We had Aria Woodworks. Thank you so much for the phonetic pronunciation there. Uh, and Ron Farber-Newman. Thank you guys for joining in. And if you would like to support the show and get some awesome rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. Yeah. So Aria Woodworks like wrote it down and then in parenthesis wrote the phonetic pronunciation. I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> if yeah. you have a hard to pronounce name, uh, that would be wonderful or just a side note. But without further ado, we want to jump into our interview with Aaron Massey. All right, guys, welcome back to another podcast. We are excited to have uh, one of John and I's personal friends, Aaron Massey from Mr. Fix-It DIY and many other things, which we'll be getting into. Aaron, welcome to Made for Profit, my man. Thanks for having me on. I, I'm honored to be on. After yeah. how many episodes is it now? You're uh, way in This there. is 116. I mean, we're, we were saving a special spot for you, Aaron. We were like, That's 116, we, we slotted you way back at episode 16. We're like 100 from now, we're bringing in Aaron. <laughs> I told you don't. I, I told you, don't bring me on until you're hundred at least 100 episodes deep. Yeah. Yes. Well, it you wanted occurs. to make sure that we were dedicated. <laughs> Absolutely. I wanted to make sure you were going to you know, put that effort in, put those miles in. <laughs> well, that's right. So speaking of putting in miles, uh, so why don't you just share a little bit with the audience real quick, Aaron, about who you are and because you've been doing YouTube for a very long time. Uh, why don't you give the, give the audience a, a quick recap of, 
of where you're at, what your business is about, and you know you can go into your other areas as much or as little as you want. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I am a, I'm a maker. I'm a DIY guy. I started Mr. Fix-It DIY, uh, shoot, I don't know, five years ago or something, six years ago. Who knows? But before that, I was a TV producer, right? So I have been in, I guess, entertainment or content for 10 plus years, and uh, this is my career. So outside of, you know, I'm one of the rare people, I guess, who used YouTube as a career prior to uh, kind of launching my own brand. But uh, I'm an executive producer of a kid's brand called The Annoying Orange. I was a reality TV producer for a number of years before I left that. And now I've just really, the last few years at least, I've been putting a lot of effort into the Mr. Fix-It brand and building that out. And that's kind of where I'm at now. And how old are you? Uh, 33, four, 33. Yep. I love it. Cause it's like, I mean, with all that experience, it sounds like you're, you know, 107 years old and that like, cause that's what people think about like TV producers and stuff. But, um, you know, we became friends years and years ago, um, when I was just jumping into content and, uh, I was trying to steer the waters of like, you know, what's, what's, what's this YouTube thing. And, and we, we used to, um, you know, hop on a call, talk Instagram, talk YouTube, and you've always been extremely busy. And, and I think you're out, you're still involved with the annoying orange up to this point in that, in that channel, if you guys aren't that monster, uh, channel, um, on YouTube and just like the, it's incredible to watch the journey. And like, it's, it's wild to think like you have been at this for six years, like on, on just YouTube alone, maybe. And, uh, and it's not, it's not been the easiest journey, right? Like, like this is like, you're in a, you're in a way different position. You have the annoying orange is 8 million subs, 7 million subs. Like, yeah. Almost nine, nine. It's, it's so ridiculous. Like that's huge. <laughs> and everyone thinks like, oh, there's this formula, right? You could just like plug into it and like it squirts out like your life's golden. No, <laughs> no, I think, I think that's one of the things. Uh, so I've never been a person who says no to a lot of things for one. Uh, that's a blessing and a curse, but I, I like challenges. I like doing things that, um, you know, test me and, and my skill sets and doing all that type of stuff, which is what draws me to continually, uh, you know, expanding my business and doing things I haven't done before and kind of different projects, all that type of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, one of the things that's both frustrating and rewarding about, I guess YouTube is I do have two very different audiences and two very different channels. Uh, the annoying orange, uh, I don't own that. I am a part of that, but I don't own that. But my brand, uh, it doesn't necessarily translate. You can do the same things on both, uh, you know, both channels, for example, follow the same best practices and you can get totally different results. Um, so that's both frustrating at times, extremely frustrating at times, but also kind of educational that you, maybe you don't know all the things you think, you know, um, so it, it is a learning experience and, and I like the challenge of trying to kind of play that game and figuring it out. Yeah. One thing, Aaron, when I, when I first saw your channel, I was like, who is this guy? Like, what is, where is he shooting? Like what studio is this? Yeah. Like because like immediately uh I could your your production value was 
was way, way high. And this was back, you know, probably, you know, three years ago, maybe your, your production value was so much higher than anybody in the woodworking space. And a lot of people have upped their game and, and you see a lot of stuff right. now, but back then it was so different. And I know, I, I think we've even had conversations about this in the past, like with your background, you know, you obviously are very familiar with all that, the ins and the outs, like you said, you know, it's a very unique perspective of your, like you have this background in, you know, production and film and, and composition and all these things that need to happen in TV shows and, and YouTube and all this good stuff. Uh, where, you know, a lot of us are just slugging it out and being like, uh, I have no idea. Like I'm, I'm shooting with my cell phone to start off with. And, you know, audio is, is horrible. When, when you came in, like, what did that look like for you as far as, um, when you were converting that into the DIY space? Cause I remember us having some conversations about like, like that you thought maybe it was almost like too polished. Like how did, how did that look? And like, how have you navigated that? And like, is, is it almost, has it been a hindrance that you know too much uh, and that it doesn't necessarily connect with the audience? Uh, that's a great question. And certainly one that I've asked myself a lot of times, because initially when I first came in, I saw it as a tremendous opportunity. I looked at it and I was like, there's nobody doing this out there that was, you know, at that quality at that time that wasn't on television. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I put all my eggs in that basket and was like really trying to produce really polished, really high end stuff that could rival maybe what you would see on TV in a short form. Um, but I didn't have that initial success. So it was like a little bit of like a slap in the face. Like why, you know, what, what was it that I was doing that didn't really lead to that, those numbers just popping off initially. I mean, it took me a long, long time. I only recently just crossed, a hundred thousand subscribers, you know, five, six years later. Congratulations um, on that, by the congrats. way. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Um, but it took me a long time to do that. And so I, I don't have an answer as far as, you know, whether or not I was making content that was too polished. I think that could have been uh, a hindrance maybe, but since then, you know, now people that have no experience, really no background and don't really know anything the technology has come up so much that people can just churn out content that looks super polished. And, you know, if anything, if, if I have a criticism of myself, it's that I haven't really had the time because I've been doing too many other things to really devote to keeping my production quality higher and keep pushing boundaries and keep doing things. Um, that's a criticism of myself, something that I'd like to continue to do. I still think I create quality content, but I don't think there's that um, differentiation that there once was. I don't know, dude. When I saw you smash your thumb with the After Effects blood squirting everywhere, <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I mean, I could, I could really. I mean, if I really wanted to spend the time, I could make some some really fun stuff, and maybe I should. But uh, you know, it's it's that battling of. How much do I want to put into this versus the return that I might get or may not get? And all that stuff, animation, um, you know, hyper-polished editing, all that stuff. You sacrifice time for the next project. And when you're talking about YouTube as a content destination, if anything, I've watched it over the years reward more frequently, um, more frequent uploads as opposed to fewer uploads and higher quality. 
there are exceptions to the rule, like Mark Rober, I guess, would be the example that I, yeah. that comes to mind off the top of my head. He puts out like one video a month, and it's always super polished, super professional, and he he's like number one trending every time he puts out a video. But I also think there's a degree, he, he posted something recently about it on his Twitter feed about how it makes him feel and whether or not, you know, it's justified or whether he's just being lucky or is he a, you know, chosen one by the algorithm. And I think all of those things are possible. Yes, he puts out highest quality content possible, but I also think there's a degree of back-end support that he's getting, um, probably subconsciously on YouTube's part, but that's been the success story of a lot of YouTubers, certainly that I've known over the years that have been chosen kind of as a darling of the algorithm is what we called them. And, uh, you know, you're rewarded. I think to some degree you could say that Annoying Orange has been that as well. Yeah, I yeah, think I, it's I think it's interesting because we've had this conversation for a while. And like Brad, Brad can attest is like I've always been trying to up my production value, thinking you that, come like a thousand percent over yeah. what when you started. Uh, like it's not it's uh, night and day. Yeah, I just and like, certainly since Sam didn't care before. Like the table it, since Sam video. has gotten. Yes. Oh, they were so bad. But regardless, <laughs> you know, we we say a but lot you, like get started, right? Like that was what yeah. just like just get started, and that's kind of how I approached it. And I used to I used to question you all the time on production value, and I I, have, I can consistently remember you harping to me like, dude, it's not you're not going to get a ton of bang for your buck as much as you will with consistent posting. And you kind of just touched on that. It's like being consistent and finding your audience is much more important than having absurd production value. And I think I think it's a it's a it's a it's a sticking point for a lot of people who want to get into content creation. Right? Is that everyone thinks you need to be using a you know, 4k or red camera or something insane in order to put, put high quality content out there. And it's just so much, not the game as like you just said, uh, there's, <laughs> there's so many videos on the internet that are just the poorest quality when it comes to production that crush numbers. And like, that's what you're looking for is views and building your audience based around how many people get exposed to your content. Not so much as, you know, how pretty and polished does it look? Um, and, and you, I mean, I feel like the, uh, annoying orange is a balance of both of those two compared to what you're doing with Mr. Fix it. Um, because Mr. Fix it is like, I mean, even the, you, even though you want to talk it down, I know Brad and I are still extremely impressed with the production value and it's way, way above both of ours. Um, and, and, and that's something that is extremely impressive because we know the time that goes into it, but like, uh, you know, so, so in your experience, uh, it's, it seems that like, it's just something that's, um, definitely doesn't want to be an emphasis up front, right? Like you work on it over time, but would you say that over the course of your journey on YouTube, um, you know, what do you think that the value production, um, the, the production value of your channel specifically has brought to, to your content? If you could go back, would you put more emphasis on volume or would you put more emphasis on context or like, what, what do you think there? Cause I know, I know production value has kind of changed as far as a viewpoint on it goes. So, a couple things I would say about that. A Number one, who are you trying to please? So for me, I put the emphasis on production value because it's a personal thing. Yeah. I, wanna, I want to up my skills. I want to make high production value stuff. I want to increase my quality. It's you're, Who are you trying to please in there? If you're trying to please the audience, then it's 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 quantity right it's there's this never-ending thirst for content now um and it's 
short and its attention spans are are very short so it's got to be punchy it's got to be sharp it's got to be it's got to catch my attention for some reason whether it's funny whether it's crazy whether it's outlandish whatever it is but you got to do it a lot and um so for me it's always been a personal thing that I choose to produce high quality content because that's what I want to watch and that's what I want to see and when I see other people doing it and when I see other people doing it well at scale those are the people that I admire right like those are the people who can who can knock out a lot of content high quality and do it frequently those are the people like that that's where yeah. I need to be that's where I want to be um because it does take time, it takes effort, and and to your point, John, about your content, like you've made a conscious investment there, like yeah. you've brought on Sam for that reason, like yeah. you you've invested in your content, you've invested in your brand, and you've invested in yourself to make that a possibility, and and you're seeing it like leaps and bounds, right? Like your content has exponentially, both I think increased in numbers and in quality, so. I would say like if I were to go back in time and look at the 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 biggest uh self-criticism that I have it ha- is always consistency. It always was. Um but I have to allow myself and give myself a little bit of leeway and a little bit of forgiveness and say like look this was and still largely is your side hustle, right? So you have to be less hard on yourself knowing that you are doing this on a part-time basis instead of a, a full-time, uh, you know, knuckle-busting kind of, you know, buckle-down kind of situation. So mm-hmm. you you kind of have to just, I would say, as if you're starting out in content, there's a an Ira Glass quote. It's one of my favorite things on, about creativity, and it's, um, it's I'm going to kind of butcher it, but it basically says, when you're first starting out, do a lot of work. And the work that you do is not going to be good initially. Um, and I think it's, it's very true. Like it may not be the best stuff, but just keep doing it, keep pushing it out, keep making it, keep doing stuff, whatever, you know, type of content that you're choosing to produce. And over time it will get better. Your skill set will improve and the audience will come with it as you improve, I think. And maybe the audience likes to see, I think uh, likes to see that growth over time. Um, they like to see you maybe starting from here and going, you know, to where you are now. There, there's that storyline that they get to follow, both personally and professionally, in the person that they're investing in. Yeah, that's an interesting way to to look at it because it is. I I, I know when we talked about YouTube, you know, I don't know, maybe thirty or forty episodes ago, we were talking about camera equipment and and filming and production. And uh, one of the things that we recommended to folks is like, hey, go, you know, for all these for all these channels that you love now and you think are so awesome, go back and like sort their videos oldest to newest instead of newest to oldest and like go watch their first videos and, and see how much has changed. So like, you know, if you're trying to be Bob Claggett, well, guess what? Bob Claggett in 2013 wasn't Bob Claggett in 2019. Like that's not, you know, that there's, there's been a journey there. And, and I think that is a big thing that people stumble with is like, they, they're like, Oh, I, I can't make stuff like Aaron. Like his stuff is so polished. Well, you don't need to, and maybe you're uh, you're you are a bad exception. They'll like watch your first video and they'll be like, "I'm out, I'm done." <laughs> <laughs> but but for everybody else, for all the schmoes, you watch my first video and you're like, "Good lord, what is that guy doing?" Um, and, and yeah, it it really goes with it. But I, I want to hit back on Aaron the the piece that you just talked about about um the side hustle 
And so, mm-hmm. like with with the the annoying orange, and with uh, I know you're you're doing podcasts, and now you're just launching a new podcast, right? What what's your new podcast? Yeah, so uh, homeschooled podcast uh, just launched uh, as of recording today. Um, it's it's largely a home improvement uh, DIY kind of. It's it's lessons in home ownership for for people out there that need a little guidance. Yeah, perfect. So like you've got your hands in in a lot of stuff. So like, how does that look for you? Like when you say side hustle, like what does that mean? Just to give kind of a you know give a, a kind of view of your total. Like you know how much time are you spending with Annoying Orange versus the podcast? Because you've got your hands in a lot of different pots, and you know you're testing the waters and different things and launching a brand new podcast. Uh, you know how much time are you giving to your YouTube channel and, and what does that look like and struggle against consistency? Uh, so what I will say about that is, um, as far as like the annoying orange thing, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I, I basically get to work from home, which is really cool. And so I work, my wife says I work three full-time jobs. So (laughs) I work, um, you know, my brand, I work uh, the annoying orange stuff. I, I do the podcast stuff. So basically I try to give myself off Sundays, most days, most of the time, but really what that ends up being is me working on the house, uh, remodeling stuff on Sundays, (laughs) which is also work. So, and I'm (laughs) recording it. So I pretty much work seven days a week, nights and weekends. And, uh, it's a challenge. I mean, certainly the biggest challenge has been for me since having a kid, I had, my son was a uh, my son will be two very shortly. And, uh, that has been the biggest, I guess, scale back. You know, I've, I've made a conscious effort to a little bit slow down a little bit, um, for that so that I can be more present in his life. But, uh, on a personal or professional basis, I I'm working all the time. So I put, I would say, you know, even though it's maybe a side hustle, I'm still putting in, in terms of knowing or, um, Mr. Fix-It, I'm still putting in 40 hours a week easy. Um, It could be nights and weekends. Weekends, I'm working 10 plus hours a day usually on on the Mr. Fix-It stuff. And I work nights and throughout the week. And sometimes, you know, depending on what I have going on otherwise, I'll put in hours throughout the day as well. So I'm still doing 40 hours a week on it, but I still consider it my side hustle, but it's a full-time job. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause I kind of had that feeling as I want to put that out, you know, this, this is like, you know, you're, you're burning at both ends of the candle or all, all three, you're making a third end and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and a fourth and a fourth, and a fourth end. End. I got a fourth end coming up. <laughs> so, so having all those things, uh, that are pulling for your time, man, I, I mean like that, that's the struggle, right? That's the struggle I see mm-hmm. the most and I have felt the most and being able to, uh, I mean, obviously, so I, we do this, we do made for profit and I do fix this, build that. And, um, those are my two main things and made for profit is much, much smaller, uh, of that piece of, as far as a time commitment. But, uh, I think that any of that to grow it and as you're growing that, like that's that, that strain that you feel mm-hmm. right. That strain in between the side hustle and then the full time, like what, what for you, what does that like, you know, what does that look like? Or do you. Do you thrive in that struggle or would you love for one of those to pop off and kind of dwarf the others and go on that? Or, or do you, do you want to kind of always have your hand in a lot of different things? So 
a couple things about that is uh, I would say that normally I I do thrive. I I kind of thrive under under pressure when I don't have a lot of you know weight on my shoulders or when I don't I I get restless. So having a lot of things going on at once uh, kind of helps me keep focus. I, I'm pretty good at managing things, and it comes from like my you know, producing TV days, there's always a million things going on. And a producer is just basically a, you know, kind of a glorified manager, really. It's, you're putting out fires is what they call it. And it's just, you're, you're managing, making sure everybody's doing their thing, making sure everything's getting done. And you're looking forward to make sure that when this is done, you're already moving on to the next thing. So it's about efficiency and productivity and getting things kind of flowing on a schedule. And, um, so I have that background. And so when I have a lot of stuff going on, it allows me to actually kind of, you know, I don't know, get me firing on all cylinders. And so I do like that. But to your point, would I like one of them to pop off and maybe and maybe uh, tackle that more fully? Yes and no. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons why I do what I do and have my hands in so many things is because I don't trust uh, platforms. I've been on YouTube long enough to know that this platform can change overnight and destroy you. And it literally has. I've watched hundreds of people uh, that used to be huge names in the space that are no longer even producing content. Um, and that is a very real thing. And I've seen it happen. And for me, th I, this, I'm in a career mode. I, I'm in this for the long haul. So... I do a lot of things to diversify my revenue streams. I do a lot of things to minimize risk. And risk is one of the things for me that um, perhaps I'm a little bit conservative about. And some people would say, well, why don't you just dive in full time on Mr. Fix-It and, and really hammer at it and take that risk? Well, because one, I live in a very expensive place. I live in Los Angeles. It's incredibly expensive. I've never heard of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have I have a house. I have responsibilities. I have a lot of things, um, and so I do. I I uh, do a little bit of risk management in my decision making, um, maybe more so than than other people who are a little bit more kind of free spirit or or younger would, you know, would take a bigger risk. But I do a lot of that stuff, and I diversify my revenue streams for a reason. Uh, as a content creator and as a producer and as somebody who's been on this platform, well, YouTube specifically for a long time, uh, you run a huge risk when a ton of your uh, revenue is directly tied to the platform. If you're not diversifying your revenue streams in as many ways as possible, you're setting yourself up for failure on that platform. Um, so find other, other ways. For me, a podcast you know, podcasts has been a revenue stream for me in the past. Um, some of these other things have been revenue streams for me. And so diversifying those revenue streams makes you not only puts you out there um, in the public lexicon, I guess, of, you know, look at him. He's all over the place, which is not necessarily a bad thing given today's uh, kind of marketplace, but it also kind of protects you financially, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think I talked, I don't know if it was on the main show or the after show, but somewhere, but I, we were just talking about diversifying your your revenue streams. And and one of the like only things I took from 
uh, undergrad business school was that like when 70 percent of your your business is coming from one place, you're putting yourself at a, at a lot of risk in order uh, that could crumble um, like could crumble your business fully if, if something changes, especially, you know, it, it does become super risky in content creation specifically because we bank on these platforms. Right. And and I think like I, I always look at it and not to toot your horn, but like Brad is a perfect example of like why you want to be diversified and putting your eggs in multiple baskets and then focusing intently on those baskets. Um, there's so many YouTube creators in the maker community specifically that 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 we know have listened to the show um, that have are just on YouTube. And they're like, man, you give so much great adv- advice and 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 whatnot on, on being on YouTube and creating a blog, you know, I just started to, and I'm making extra like X amount a year now. And, and you can easily see why it's valuable and it's passive and, and all that that goes into it. Um, and I love hearing your experience in it because if you, if you, if you approach content creation or any type of business as a short win, you're typically setting yourself up to fail. Right. And like, I know we've spoke in depth about it, um, about how the, the strategy of Mr. Fix it DIY was never short term. Like neither was fix this build that it was never like a, oh, you know, people are in the DIY right now. Like I'm just going to start a website and hope it does, you know, well for the next two years. It's like, no, this is a, it's a long play because it's a, it's not, everyone's always going to, excuse me, homeowners are always going to be looking for tips and advice and taking care of their homes. People are always going to be looking for um, how to content. It's, it's the, 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 the fact that people buy and purchase homes is not going anywhere as well as they maintain them long play and, and, and setting yourself up from the get go to do so, uh, it was very smart. And, and I think your, your content strategy has been molded around that too, right? With, with the types of things you put out on Mr. Fix It DIY. Like, I don't think I've ever seen you try to ride a trend, um, with your content. Like Brad and I both came to <laughs> the river table stuff and why? Well, well, we're full-time content creators that this is what we do. It worked for you. And it's done well for both of us, but like, you know, for yourself, you've always said, to me, um, is like that your the types of content you're putting out there are specifically for long term play, right? Like you're looking to play the SEO game. You're looking to have something, and I think you were you were telling us before the show, like about an example that's YouTube decided to serve recently that's popping off. You know, why don't you touch on that a little bit on how not only was your business concept to be long term, but the actual context of what you're putting into your business as well feeds the long term. Um, and, and how that's looked for you. Cause we, we know you've been in it for a while now. Yeah. So this is, like I said, this is a career, this is a career play for me, right? I'm, I'm focused on five, 10 years from now, not trying to basically run myself out of the game, right? I'm trying to lay small, uh, stepping stones so that I can continue to build the brand over time. And it's, uh, progress is not always linear, right? It's, there's ups and downs, there's whatever, but your your eye is on the graph moving upward over time. Yes, you're going to have downturns. Yes, you're going to have waves and and things or whatever, but uh, the eye is always further. And when you're at the top, there's only one place to go and that's down. But when you're kind of in the middle or if you're at even just starting out, everything is up, right? So uh, I like to try and keep that mentality as I go. And I, I think it's actually, I feel fortunate that I've never really kind of skyrocketed to the top. It keeps me grounded and it keeps me driven. You know, there's always improvement. There's always things that you can do better. There's always things that you can uh, take and move to the next phase. And then we, we're talking about the content. Yeah, 
I do not trust YouTube. Uh, I never have, and I never will. And I've never called myself a YouTuber, and I don't like the term. I am a content producer, and YouTube is a platform that I utilize. Uh, I utilize a lot of them. I utilize Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. YouTube happens to be the one that's my biggest destination or my biggest driver, but I do not consider myself a YouTuber because that platform doesn't owe you anything. <laughs> None of these platforms do. Zero. They own They own you. They, they own you. Basically, they could shut down tomorrow. Look at Vine as an example. If you invest all your content legs into one platform, and that platform decides to die the next day. I had eight and a half million subscribers. I, I, I was this, I was that. Uh, guess what? So what? You're nothing now on that platform. That platform mm-hmm. doesn't exist. You invested everything into that and it's gone now. And what are you going to say about it? There's nothing you can say. Uh, it wasn't yours to begin with. So one of the things I like to try and do is try and own my content as much as I possibly can. And I think that's something that both you and Brad do extremely well. Um, you know, Brad is such a, like such an analytical thinker. I respect the hell out of you. And I, you know, I use you a lot as kind of somebody that I look up to and that I, you know, like to model stuff after. Dad. But dad. <laughs> Daddy. You're, my, I'm you're old. such a that's good okay. guy. Yeah. And, and because you're old as F. Uh <laughs> But yeah, so for example, right, there was a video I did as part of a sponsored campaign two and a half years ago, something like that. And the the content itself never really did all that well initially. It did okay, you know. I don't remember how many views it had initially, but it didn't it didn't do very very well. But it did well enough as part of this campaign that I was doing with the sponsor that they were you know they were happy with it and it, and it was whatever. But two and a half years later. Um, this past month, it did like 400,000 something views or something, uh, two and a half years later. Right. And I did nothing different. Nothing changed. I didn't change the thumbnail. I didn't change the back end. I didn't change the description. I didn't share it anywhere. I did nothing different and it just popped off. And what does that tell me? Okay. Well, it's not the content that I'm producing that is determining how successful it is. It's there's something else, right? If the content that I'm doing which I can control um, is good and I like it, then that's a, that's a win for me, you know? And I try to make that clear to every sponsor that I'm, that I deal with as well. And some are receptive to it. Some aren't, some say they are, and then backpedal. And I say, look, I told you this on the front end. Um, But when I talk to a sponsor specifically, I say, look, I can't control the viewership that this video is going to get. I know that's what you're looking for, but, if you want to work with me, it's a long-term play. That video is going to be up there a long time. It could pop off six, seven months from now. It could pop off two years from now. It could kind of just kind of slowly trickle and grow over time. I don't know. I can't control that. The platform controls that. And all I can do is my best and use my best practices that I'm aware of to try and get it seen and out there as much as possible. But knowing what I've known from being on the platform for so long... I know that there are just things that an engineer somewhere tweaks something, just tweaks something. And it's a little bit of a butterfly effect, right? Like halfway across the world, all of a sudden that leads to boink. All this just pops off, you know? 
And I think you'll see that and you'll continue to see that. And they'll make an algorithmic change that says, you know, we need to be more advertiser friendly over here, or we need to do this, or we need to do that. And all of a sudden it's going to have some ripple effect. And sometimes your content will be what's, you know, benefiting from it. And sometimes your content will be what's not benefiting from it. Um, so ride the wave, understand that you are only con in control of the content that you produce and your quality and your stuff and try not to let the, fr the frustration of not uh, popping off get to you because it does. I mean, it does weigh on you over time. You, you start to kind of question the content you're doing. You start to question uh, what it is that you're doing wrong as opposed to some of these other people. You're like, why, why is my content not getting seen? Somebody's doing a very similar video. They're all of a sudden they're, you know, going viral with it. You, you can't control that. You can only control what you produce. And at the end of the day, you got to be happy with the type of work that you're putting out and hope for the best. That's really all that you can do. Yeah, the, that's like that ties just into what you were hitting on earlier. I read the same uh, Mark Rober post when he was talking about it, and that's exactly what he was talking about, uh, that, you know, he is in, in the darling of the algorithm right now. And and I really liked, you know, his takeaways were kind of the the backside of yours, right? He's like, I, I'm at the top right now. I'm writing this. I've not done anything else. Like, these are the same types of videos that I've made. They might be slightly more generally appealing but like he's not changed his strategy over time. And and I really, that was a, I loved his post. So if you guys hadn't seen that, go check that out. Uh, but the same thing, Aaron, like, you know, it works on the flip side too. Like when you're grinding and you haven't hit that, that, and that's the worst is like, it's not even that, it's not like, oh, all of a sudden some of my new content's doing well. It's like my old stuff is doing well because now you like, you can't really have, there's no takeaway from that. There's nothing, like you said, there's nothing that you've done there's nothing you can do to replicate that. And that's, you know, where I always, you guys know, uh, you know I love to spend time in the data. And I, I do that to try to find things that I can make changes that will drive the numbers. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, and that's kind of a cause and effect type thing. But when you have an effect with no, you know, attributable cause, what do you do with it? Nothing. You, you can do absolutely. Somebody, somebody said that, that was, you know, another one of these quotes. It was like, I would rather, uh, you know, lose money and know why than make money and not know why, not know how I did it. Because you can't, because I'll know what not to do again. But if I can't replicate what I did to make the money, then it doesn't do me any good. And that's kind of the same, same mindset that you're talking about there. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think I've, that's YouTube as a whole. I mean, I think what you just described is very much how YouTube is and has always been. Uh, and it's a it's very difficult. There's certain things you can, you can extrapolate the data and be like, okay, this did this, this did this, but there's always been an X factor involved in YouTube that has just been like inexplicable. And you're just like, honestly, dude, I don't have a clue. And anybody who tells you that they do is probably straight up lying to you, to be honest. Um, it's just the way that the platform has kind of always been and, and continues to be. And that's why I think you have to kind of keep it at arm's length and just like understand that this is working for you. And if it's working for you right now, great, perfect, great. Hold on to that, keep it going. But don't don't divert all your effort there. Like understand that things can change on you. If you're trying to play the long game, if you're trying to play a short term, you're just trying to, you know, make some viral stuff and uh, pop off and 
I don't know, go retire on an island somewhere or whatever. Great. Good good luck, you know, or if you don't want to make content long term, but this is fulfilling whatever need at this point in your life, that's great. But if you're playing the long game, just understand that, you know, this platform has a lot of inexplicable stuff and you're not privy to the to all the knowledge that goes into the back end that can directly impact your bottom line. Yeah, it's it's it, like that that is the most frustrating part, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. is it being out of your control? And I love what you're talking about, about owning your own content. Obviously, John and I are, are big fans of that. Along those same lines, you know, where do you see, are, are there any platforms or anything else that you're working on to try to to build up your own owned content, um, whether it's, and not even, you know, if another platform you wouldn't obviously own, but, you know, is there anything that you see on the horizon or currently out there that you're wanting to take advantage of to try to, again, not rely so much on YouTube. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm currently working on, um, I'm actually working on something completely different, um, which is it has a content uh, driver behind it and stuff, but it's also a, it's a product based business, um, which is different, right? It's I've only tr- typically worked in content in the past. I haven't had product. But I'm kind of transitioning into, I'm not transitioning, I'm just adding to um, a product-based business, which will be coming out you know, in the next month or two. And I'm really excited about that, honestly, because I feel like I can utilize uh, what I've done and what I am as a content creator to help drive product. And that's different for me. And I think a lot of the best positioned people on the platform right now uh, have that. And I don't think I've ever had that. And I don't think I've ever been very good at that. I've never, I've never made like merch, a big point of my business. I've never had anything product based. That is a real driver. You know, I've had, I have some affiliate links and some stuff like that, but it's never been a big facet of my business, right? It's my business has really largely always been tied into sponsorship dollars and ad revenue. And so that, I I always see that as a risk because there are any you know any number of factors the FTC YouTube changes anything can severely impact your bottom line when it's content specific but I'm trying to now trickle in a little bit of product business as well so there's that diversification of revenue streams there's that kind of balance across things so that you can kind of you know have a little bit in a lot of places I think that you know, if you look at the stock market as an example, you would never just all, you know, go all in on, you know, Tesla or whatever stock, right? You you just wouldn't do it because is there, or unless you're super, super, super high risk individual and you're just playing with funny money, then maybe you would. But yeah, it's, you know, it's not, it's not like showing up in, in Vegas and being like, I'm dropping my, uh, you know, here's my title to my, you know, my house, my mortgage put it all on nine, you know, nine black. <laughs> yeah. I mean the, uh, the concept of being diversified, I, I absolutely love, you know, and I, I keep my, as much as I don't do custom furniture still here, I mean, my, I would say 10% of my revenue this year will be from doing custom furniture. Now I'm in a position where I've been able to leverage it into creating content around most of that. But like for the concept of being a content creator, if you look at people outside of the maker community, the best ones doing it are crushing it outside of just revenue from YouTube, right? Like Dude Perfect, yep. for instance. Brad and I love Dude Perfect. 
And yep. their merchandise is phenomenal. They're doing a TV show. They're doing just yeah, they're doing a world yeah. tour. Like incredible. Right. They got like Nerf, like yeah. a whole line of Nerf toys. So like, they, yeah. You've got like these, that's like, yeah, that's incredible. But like you look at the concept of the brand dude. Perfect. Yeah. YouTube is their staple, like where their mainstay is. But if YouTube goes away, the brand doesn't die. And I think that's where a lot of people need to be considering being a YouTuber, being a content creator. Is that like, if the platform goes away, does your brand die? Like if the platform goes away, how are you going to make money? And, uh, you know, if YouTube goes away, like, you know, is is your website there is your are you making money a passive income outside of it are you capable of selling service are you capable of consulting like where is your attention and a lot of people get um they get sort of uh i guess confused in the waters and i want i'd like you to touch on this a bit of like when's the right time to diversify right because a lot of people try to start and they're like i've done this and they're like i want to do merch i want to do cutting boards. I want to do YouTube. I want to do Instagram. I want to have a website and you get your, you don't have a lot of capital and you don't have a lot of, of, of time to invest in all of these things. And then they all slowly just fizz around instead of being well executed on one at a time. And Brad and I specifically had a conversation where I got on YouTube. He started seeing growth on my channel. It was once larger than his, if you guys can believe it. And, uh, Brad, so was mine yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, about, for about five minutes. And Brad wasn't on YouTube quite yet. And when I asked him why, he was like, well, I just don't think the brand's quite there yet. And I don't have the time to invest into doing it right. So I'm going to hold off until I can allocate the proper timing to it. And I was like, huh, idiot, just get on. But then no, then Brad came out the gate and started putting out content right in line with where he wanted it to be. And you saw the, the audience he wanted to grow happen. But what was already there was the website, the Instagram following, the drivers to becoming more and more diversified. And a lot of businesses, and like I said, I've 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 fallen to this. They try to do too much too soon, and then they don't understand um, allocation. They don't understand hiring. They don't understand um, the the like the the offloading of tasks and and management of a business parts. And that's where you can really get in trouble, right? If you start diversifying, if you're like, oh, you know, I'm making I'm making this and that and now I want to do this and you add something more to your plate and you don't actually have the time or the manpower to do it. Like you can actually cripple your business, right? Like you can like say, for instance, you're like, oh, you know, I wanted to add this podcast and you didn't bring on somebody else and you were editing it yourself and you were doing two podcasts a week across platforms and hosting a website that you were writing content on for it too. Like you can obviously see how that can eat up a ton of time. Talk about a little bit why the timing makes more sense now to be doing more than it did, say, a year, three years, five years ago. Yeah, so I'm, I'm what, six, six years into this business, right? Yeah. So, you know, diversification for me makes sense because also you got to remember that I, I largely, I still, this is, we've talked about it, it's side money, right? So I can be a little bit more free in the ability to reinvest it in different avenues and to take a little bit of risk in that sense, because I, I'm not a hundred percent relying on this income and stuff to pay my daily bills. So that's one reason why I kind of keep it that way is because I, I like being able to take a little bit of a risk on a new business or investing over here and doing this or hiring somebody to do this. Could I, could I take all that and, and absorb all that and make myself considered you know, full time. Yeah, I probably could, but I wouldn't be as free to kind of take some of the other swings that I'm doing. And so, um, as far as allocation and, you know, 
hiring and diversification and when's the right time to do it. Well, it depends on how you're doing it, right? First and foremost, you're making your business so that it can uh, support you or whatever your goals are. So if your goal is, I want to do this job full time and I want to be able to pay my bills and I want to do that. Okay, well, that's your primary focus, right? Once you get that business going, once you get it kind of rolling, then you can be like, okay, well, I've got my uh, my daily needs, my family needs, all that stuff. I've got all that taken care of. Okay, now what can I do with that? And I think, you know, serious, like you have, nobody has done this better than Brad uh, as far as taking each logical step. I I did things exactly the opposite of Brad, right? I had I had no usually that's I had, a successful strategy. It's like no, no I'm saying your I'm do. saying your stuff. Yeah. Your stuff is a successful strategy. What I did, I was a content producer from the get-go, right? So I started specifically with making videos on YouTube just because that's kind of where I came from and I was making YouTube videos for a long time. I didn't even know what a blog was, how you can monetize the back end of a blog. I did all this stuff. I've taken, basically I've worked in reverse. You know, I've uh, started making videos. Then I went back to building out a website, monetizing that, doing all that. So I'm working the opposite way of a lot of people, I think, where a lot of people, you know, certainly a lot of the bloggers and stuff we've talked to at conferences and stuff, they're like, oh, I kind of want to get into video. And I'm like, well, I kind of want to get into, Blogging. you know, I want to get into blog more. <laughs> like, well, how are you guys making money on this? Like, I didn't even realize you could make money on it. I was I just thought, you know, I thought it was like a mommy blogger thing where it was just like they like doing it in their spare time or whatever. And that's kind of my knowledge of what a blog was at the time. And I was like, oh, wait, this is a whole this. There's a business here like that blew my mind. And so I've learned all that stuff, you know out of necessity, basically to diversify revenue streams like we were talking about years into it, you know, years later. And I'm still not fully there. You know, I'm still trying to figure it out. What are the best practices? What is SEO? All the, you know, it's a lot. It is a lot to to kind of juggle all that stuff. But I think there's nobody to look at as an example of how to do it well better than bread. It's understanding where your business is at, looking at what's the next logical swing and then as you make that swing, um, put all your, you know, put all your effort into that swing to, to get it off the ground in the, you know, with the best foot forward. I think another person who's really calculated about that is actually Mike from Modustrial Maker. I had a conversation with him a while back and I said, uh, you know, I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, I'm not really doing uh, Instagram yet. He was really primarily focused on YouTube and I, I had talked to him. We were doing a collaboration down with uh, Chris from Four Eyes Furniture, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not quite ready to kind of really hit Instagram out of the park yet. And so he wasn't really doing it. And now I'm starting to see him really, really hitting Instagram out of the park. And I'm like, I see, you know, he took his time. He made a calculated move. He was in a position on YouTube that allowed him to divert some of that effort into that platform and really hit it out of the park. And I, I've been really impressed with what I've seen. And obviously I had a little insider information. So to the out, you know, the other side of the audience, they probably didn't really even know that he wasn't really even doing it before. And, but he made it a logical, um, calculated decision to pursue it. And so it's just about evaluating your business needs, your personal needs, 
what types of things you think will allow you to diversify and get some measure of return. There are certain loss leaders. Like I, I consider kind of a podcast as a loss leader, in my opinion, at this point, uh, at least my new podcast, right? It's I'm putting content out there that's not necessarily going to be a big revenue generator at, off the get-go. Um, but over time, I think there's value added in terms of putting my name out there, putting my face out there, uh, eventually adding that as part of kind of my sponsorship, my sponsorship package. Um, so it's when I approach a sponsor, it's like you get X, Y, Z, Instagram, you know, Twitter, YouTube, all this stuff. And then you get an add on, basically you get a podcast sponsorship add on as well. So there's that, you know, kind of thing. So you can have loss leaders if there's things you definitely want to pursue from a personal or professional goal, but uh, just understand what the value add is. Make a cul- like a calculated decision to pursue that, and and then go for it. And it's something I've always struggled with. I'm trying to get better at it now, and that's why I've been a little bit more logical of late. And a little, I've been historically a very passionate person who chases what I'm excited about, and less. I've been less about the numbers and more about whatever is really. Um, you know, really inspiring me in the moment. And that's what I've gone towards. And I, you could argue that that's why I'm kind of still, I guess, fluctuating in the middle zone of content creators. Uh, maybe I need to be a little bit more calculated and logical and numbers-based. And so I'm trying to add a little bit of that in while not losing that passion. So there is a balance there. Yeah, I think the calculated part of it, like being calculated is, is it's hyper important, Right. You know, if you're going to where Brad and I get tons of questions, should I be on YouTube? Should I be on Instagram? Should I be on Facebook? Should I be on Twitter? Should I be on Pinterest? Should I be making a blog? And the the the, the answer to the question broadly is yes to all of them. But mm-hmm. be calculated about it, right? Make sure that if you're going like I'm on Twitter, I don't use it. I tweeted the other night about the Steeler game, which was embarrassing. But regardless, I don't use that platform. Yeah. But that's a calculated choice to not be on that platform. And Brad had the, we had the conversation years ago, I remember. And you were like, Twitter, hmm, eh, I don't think I'm going to put a ton of effort into it. And it's, it's regardless of however you want to use it or whatever it might be, there's some people on the other side of things that, that would argue against it. Like I know um, all the guys on, on the Making It podcast love Twitter. They, they use Twitter to engage their audience extremely well, and they're all really good at it. But like, it's just not. I know us three specifically, like Twitter's not really a an, an, and somewhere we put emphasis. I think you need to be approaching any use of specifically a, a, a social platform and more uh, your revenue stream diversification with with calculated um, thought. Like you, you can't go into something and say, I'm making all my money. Uh, I'm making a ton of money here. Do I want to be doing merch? Well, like none of us really crush merch like hard. Why? It's a lot of time and effort. And in order to do it well, you need to constantly be updating it. You need to have someone that's going to handle the shipping. You need to be doing like Brad's Brad's sold shirts and made good money and done it quickly. Brad's also held shirts for years. And that's because I have in, a whole shelf of shirts. If you want one, John, I, I'll give you a great deal. I actually just like, I just painted three rooms in my one. house wearing only fix this build that clothing and hats. <laughs> but like I, uh, <laughs> I have box. I have a huge box full of shirts it, that I've literally uh, and, about to take to a donation facility. And all of us looked at the merchandise <laughs> situation, right? I have the same thing. I have a box sitting right above my fridge full of shirts. And I, and all of us looked at the merchandising opportunity and said, hmm, 
opportunity to make some cash, easy money, right? Well, not really, because as calculated as we've all been towards revenue streams in our business, that was one that we thought would just kind of handle itself. And it really doesn't. And I, unfortunately, the risk um, and, 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 uh, and opportunity cost of the merchandise isn't very high. Like you're not dumping thousands of dollars of capital into something um, and a ton of time. But on the other side of it, um, you know, all of us could have probably done it better. So that being said, if you look at that in the in the spectrum of how most of our businesses are and how we all and how, you know, like I think this conversation is leaning towards how your business should be, is that if you're more calculated about it, I'm sure all of us could execute really well on selling and moving merchandise. It would just take away from the other other time and effort that's going into other things. And that's where I, I really think uh, you've you've shown that, you know, you could easily take Mr. Fix this, uh, Mr. Fix this. Mr. Fix this build that DIY. Should we have a merger? Let's <laughs> yeah, have, I think we're good. Let's, let's have our people talk. You can, <laughs> <laughs> fix this, build that DIY. There you you could easily yeah. you can easily take your your uh, your Mr. Fix It DIY brand to another level, but it would be a calculated risk taking away from the other things that you're doing right now. And in order to get there. You you know the formula. You know how to do it. You know where you're. You know where you're lacking. You know where you're. You could essentially execute on harder, but it's not something you want to do, right? Like I know you're new, newer dad. Uh, you, ironically, newer husband as well. That was that was very fast. And like those things are important. To we you were together for right seventeen now. years before. <laughs> yes, just eh, put a ring on it. Put a baby. Let's go. Yeah, uh, but it's about time. <laughs> the uh, the other side of it is like those are places where I personally, as we've had conversations, know you want to put emphasis and time. So like. You know, the brand's not so much there, but it's all a calculated balance. It's all calculated risk. And for everyone that's looking to start a business or grind out another aspect of their business, you need to be approaching it that way. You need to look and go like for me, for instance, I could easily do multiple six figure revenue probably and selling custom furniture like everything is there and in place. But I would literally lose almost 90 percent of the content business if I was to do so, because I just don't have the time or manpower to do both. So it's a calculated risk. It's a calculated decision for myself to be making content and not to be making custom furniture. And it's weird in like the context of how I describe to normal human beings that aren't in the YouTube community on what I do for a living. They're like, wait, you don't actually sell stuff. You're an idiot. And I'm like, am I an idiot? <laughs> like I, you have to sell something to make a buck. And I, I have to sell exposure to sell to making something. It, it's a weird world. So anyone looking to get into something like that, I think it's like like Aaron's story is like the perfect example of it. It just it's just calculated move after move after move after move. And you've watched one channel you work with on YouTube specifically explode. And now uh, and now, unfortunately, like the whole uh, the whole YouTube community is seeing like it was released today. Uh, some bigger guys and like Daryl Eves, for instance, just put out a video on um, some government sanctions coming down on YouTube specifically that could affect the entire spectrum of advertising and revenue on YouTube, especially with, uh, you know, kids content and whatnot. Uh, and it could be detrimental. And like, you know, if you're not diversified, I think it's, it's something that could be crushing. I, I love hearing your story on how you've actually balanced it because it could seem like, you know, why doesn't he publish more? Where's he, where's, what else is this guy doing? Like, who is this mysterious man? Oh, he's got a podcast. Like, why isn't he focusing more on YouTube? It's like, no, it's actually calculated, right? And I think it's a good piece of advice for for anyone that's looking to do anything like this. Yeah, it's all about making, you know, the right swings for yourself, both personally and professionally, and and focusing on what you, you know, at the end of the day, if all you're trying to do 
is appease somebody else or an algorithm or something else, you're going to burn out. You're going to be a miserable person. So you have to focus on what you want to do, what you want to make, what you, you know, what keeps you going. And if you're constantly looking outwardly for motivation or for inspiration, you're going to get tired and you're going to burn out. Um, you have to be able to turn within and find motivation. And it doesn't have to be big. It could be the motivation is I'm going to do better audio for this video. You know, that's my, I, I just want to do that. It's not somebody asking me to do that. It's something I want to do. Uh, I want to do this. You know, I want to improve on this. I want, it's small things. It's finding internal motivation to do small things and understanding that you can only control those types of things, not the other things. So, you know, it's, and then when you, when it comes to business wise, it's like, okay, now take, for example, if you, you know, if you wanted to do custom furniture, John, at this point in your career, you know, go back to or whatever. I mean, the most logical way for you to do that would be to put out more content, take any revenue that's, that's generated there, invest that into hiring somebody to produce, you know, custom furniture under the John Malecki name, you know, in-house basically that you kind of oversee and sign off on and put your stamp on and all that type of stuff. And yeah, you could build out a custom furniture thing and and you could have a whole nother wing of business, but you would have to invest in that yeah. to bring in those man hours for somebody else to really help you build so that you can still do the man hours to do the content as well. Yeah. So and it would be a calculated But that would be risk. a calculated move. It'd be yeah. a calculated risk against what I'm already doing. And if it is the opportunity cost is is the lost time in making content going to be made up for in two or three times that with doing that? I'd also be then balancing like who's in my shop and who's not. Because I get these questions a lot. It's like, oh, John, why don't you sell a custom line? It's like, well, who's going to make it? If I'm making content, right. I can't be making that. And then if someone else is making that, they're in my shop. So I can't actually make that. So I need a second shop. And now I just spent $200,000 just to make one table. <laughs> You're like, Pfft. Well, like, oh, right. And then you, you know, then you run the risk of if somebody else is producing it, is it, it going to be, up, is to it up to my standards? Yeah. Is it up to my quality standards? All that type of stuff, and, and you know? I'll, so the, yeah, so it's a, it's a calculated move, right? So what we're talking about, it's like the, it doesn't make sense for you at this time. So that's why you're choosing not yeah. to do it. And I'm, I'm sure the timing might be there just like the timing for Brad to get on YouTube and just like the timing for yourself to put more emphasis in podcasting, you know, it, that's I think that's like a natural curve of business. It's like you could feel rushed early on, but if you let the natural flow of things kind of tell you where you should be and shouldn't be, if you're testing constantly and constantly looking for improvement, you'll kind of sniff out where you should be or shouldn't be. But if you're just if you're just completely wide open or completely shut, you're never going to see those opportunities. And I and I kind of love how this conversation has steered to that since it's something that I think all three of us have sort of been through as far as our journeys is not only you know, content creators, but is, but in business in general. Yeah. I yeah, really like certain... what you said about the passion project to Aaron, as far as like doing not necessarily passion project, but the passion, uh, getting something that you want and hold close, whether that's like for you starting out was video production and now, you know, taking little chunks and, and doing the product thing now, right. That sounds like that's kind of your new, you're like, do I like, I just, I really want to do this. And from the sense that it's a passion of yours, plus the diversification. I think that's that's the key intersection for when you're already successful. You know, there there are calculated moves, right? Like me going to YouTube. I, I didn't 
really have a passion to go to YouTube because like I want to make videos. I was like, I need to be doing this. Like there's some things that you need because it's such a huge platform. It's such a huge opportunity that that was one of those things I needed to do. But like for product, you know, nobody needs to do product. But if you get, you know, you have some idea, whatever your idea is, and we're excited to see what you're going to come out with. But um, whatever that is, you know, is something that you're like, oh, dude, like you had an idea or whatever it sparked. You're like, this could really be cool. But it, you're not going to put all your eggs over there, but you're going to kind of speculate. You know, it's, it's very much like, you know, back to that kind of stock market analogy. It's like, yeah, you've got 90% of your portfolio in these like really good mutual funds. And with 10%, you're going to go play uh, and you're going to use the the revenue that you made off of that 90% to kind of speculate over here. And it, it might you might lose all your money uh, or it might, you know, just kind of return your money or it might do really well. Uh, but that I really like that part of it of being like, OK, I'm going to take something that I'm passionate about because those are the things that you need to have the legs because if you're not excited about it and, you know, you're like, ah, I don't know, I need to diversify and, and I'm doing product because I think I need to do product, but I'm not really happy about it. It's, it's probably not going to do what you want it to do, because at the very beginning, you've got to have that passion, that grind, because you're already spread so thin. You're going to build that based on pure, you know, <laughs> gut and grit because it's something you're excited about. Yeah. I think yeah. And great. I think I, a lot of businesses that I've talked to, I've I've done a fair bit of consulting with different some businesses and stuff and they they're asking they're always asking me about oh how much does it take to produce a video or this that and the other thing and well we really should be doing this and it's like they're 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 purely focused on this stuff as a necessity for a like because the public perception is that you have to be in all these places and so they like they're already reluctant to dive into it and you're like well you're not going to succeed you I can hear the reluctance in your voice to dedicate the assets and the and the things to to making it work, and I can already tell you that you're not going to make it work just by the way that you're you're you know expressing it to me. So you do have to have a little bit of a passion, and I think if you have a passion in a direction, you know, I really want to make video. Okay, well, what's the best platform that I'm going to get my most bang for my buck to to do to make video? Yeah, I, I dig it. The the <laughs> little doggy. My dog is like in my background <laughs> vomiting. <laughs> what? He, he, came, he came in to share it with you. I saw him come in the Great. back door. <laughs> yeah, she can. I'm like, what is that? What is that noise? My dog literally just came in just to throw up behind me. Awesome. <laughs> you know, I think that is a wonderful note. We are coming up on the hour here. One thing we do uh, love to ask ask our our guest Aaron is is what kind of advice would you have for for the audience you know that you've learned whether in your business or youtube or whatever what's a, a piece of advice you'd like to share with the audience uh, as we wrap it here i think something that i said earlier is something that i really think of a lot and that is to understand that like i said progress is not always linear you know it's not always exponential going up it's it's a wave it's a roller coaster right so just ride it and as long as you're kind of making the strides and making the personal and professional strides that you are wanting to make, understand that there's going to be highs and lows. Love that yeah, love advice. It. Like, because it is like, if you go and look at the growth chart of pretty much any YouTube channel, not one single one is a straight, consistent slope with a line. <laughs> there's inflection points along there and there's downtimes and uptimes. And uh, you just have to, you have to go in knowing that that's what it's going to be like. 
And like, I, I love that advice because, uh, you know, you, you can slug it out in the salt mines for a long time before you, before you finally hit something that it just goes. And then, you know, then that changes the, the shape of your channel. Right. And I, and you, you look at it and look at any, you know, social blade or any number of things and, and just look at it. You'll see there's projections, right? Look at the projections. Your projections rarely ever tanks to the bottom, right? <laughs> right it's, yeah. it's going up. So is keep putting the effort in and you're going to see there will be rewards, you know, down the line. Yeah. And that will allow you to maybe take some of the other swings that you want to do or whatever, but you got to be willing to put in the time. Success isn't overnight. You know, it takes practice to build things. Literally. Yes. Literally and figuratively. Love it, man. Dude. Awesome. I really appreciate the conversation, Aaron. It's, it's been cool to kind of see in because we've, I don't think we, we've definitely never had a, a guest with your background in the industry of production and that. So it's been really cool to hear that side of it. And uh, yeah, we're excited about uh, your new podcast and the new product line. So we will make sure to uh, link out to all of Aaron's channels and everything. And, uh, and if he has anything, we will link to that as well for the product stuff as well. I appreciate it. And I hope to uh, be back on in another hundred episodes. Yeah. yeah. 216 has got your name on it, brother. 216. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Awesome, all right, man. buddy. Thanks for coming on. All right, man. Thanks for having us. Or having me. Thank you for having me. And the dog. That's us. And the it's dog for vomiting in the background. <laughs> all right. Dude, that was a great conversation. And one thing that after we got off, we talked with Aaron and hot off the presses, we heard his new business, got some more information on it. He has started a company called Wake and Make Coffee. It just launched literally today. Uh, they're focusing on handcrafted coffee blends and some other cool merch like mugs and coffee scoops that are made by local makers. So really cool. You can go check it out at wakeandmakecoffee.com or at wakeandmakecoffee uh, on Instagram. And we'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well. Yeah, super pumped to hear Aaron's getting into another business adventure. He seems to always have something going on, and I love how he keeps it super real. This conversation was like, I, I found it very insightful because of that aspect. I'm really grateful that he was willing to go and talk about some of the things that he did, um, and just really glad that he was willing to come on the show and talk about the very long uh, time he's been on the internet and watched everything kind of change and whatnot. So if you guys want to see more from Aaron or want to tell us a little bit about what you thought about our conversation with Aaron, make sure you're heading on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash made for profit tribe killer conversations happening over there. Love hearing what you guys have to say about our episodes as well as about potential future topics. Absolutely. And uh, the show notes are at madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 116. So you can uh, get all the links for Aaron there as well and go make it 6 billion and one views on, uh, on the annoying orange. Oh my Just, goodness. <laughs> yes. In, insane. Insane. Yeah. But right now <laughs> we're going to jump over <laughs> to the after show and go hang out with our patrons. So we will catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. Peace.